Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Currently Not Tripping. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Chris and Lee. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Good to be here. Me too. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Okay, so this is Group E. This is Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, and Japan. And before we get into it, this week's episode is sponsored by KDC from Queens, New York, who wants to remind listeners to not run with scissors. It's dangerous. Oh, my gosh. That reminds me. I have a just a terrible habit that this reminded me of. Like, whenever my hands are full uh, and I'm, like, walking around, like, trying to, like, organize a meal or something, I always, like, put, a like, a fork in my mouth and just, like, hold it with my teeth while I'm rocking around. Dude, if I fall, that thing's going through the back of my neck. Right. So anyway, thanks, Katie, for calling that one out. Good also, on a, on a more serious <laughs> soccer related note, uh, Nick, uh, de facto a group of death. Definitely. Yeah, I uh, I think everybody had this one marked down from the very beginning. I mean, Spain and Germany have been World Cup favorites for the last few years. You got uh, Costa Rica, who's survived a group of death in recent memory. And then you got Japan, who's on their own, a very strong team, and they would have a really good shot of making it out of any other group. It's going to be really difficult for all of these teams to be the two that make it out, and I can't yeah. wait to find out. Yep, same. Super excited about this. Okay, so I'll get us started here with Spain. So Spain has been a strong team for a while now. They've qualified for every single World Cup since 1978, and they've had a handful of group stage exits, three round of 16 losses, four quarterfinal losses, one semifinal exit, and one World Cup to their name in 2010. And they're currently ranked seventh in the world. They've almost fully moved on from their best ever side that won that 2010 World Cup and the European Championships on both sides in 2008 and 2012. Spanish teams have been known to live and die by their midfield, and arguably their three best players are all in the midfield right now, so this team lives up to that. The style of play that Spain and Barcelona play has been coined tiki-taka. This style relies on the Spanish team remaining incredibly patient, in possession of the ball significantly more than their opponent, and a ton of short-range passes. This current team doesn't play as diehard tiki-taka as teams in the past, but their style of football is extremely aesthetically pleasing. So storyline. The storyline here for Spain is can they put it all together? Can they score the goals? Can they finish off teams? Because they've been known to just pass around in circles and never just put the ball in the back of the net. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do. So key players. The entire midfield. The two attacking midfielders come from the same club team, Barcelona, my team. They're both super young, Gavi and Pedri. They're 18 and 19 right now. Normally, I would say that that's too young and that they'd be gaining experience for the next World Cup, but they're already at the top of the sport. Both have good odds to be the young players of the tournament. They've won successive Golden Boy Awards for Best Young Player in Club Football. Their truly world-class creativity and flair between these two is going to take a lot of teams by storm. The defensive midfielder, on the other hand, is Rodri. He's 26, and he's the rock from Manchester City. He reads the game so well, makes tackles, and can pass with the best of them. It would also be interesting to see how many games he starts, since the aging legend Sergio Busquets also plays that role quite well, even if he's a step slower than he used to be. 
So what they do well, they retain possession. This team is slow moving with their relentless passes that are constantly probing and looking for weaknesses in the opponent. When they lose the ball, they have a strong and quick work rate to get it back. This style of play also tends to throw their opponent off since they spend the whole game playing defense. What they struggle with, what could hold them back? This team's susceptible to counterattacking football. If a team steals the ball in an advantageous position, they can outrun the Spanish defense. This team has a really good defense, but not great. They also struggle at scoring goals. So really everywhere that's not midfield. <laughs> so up front, they're led by Alvaro Morata, who is an incredible but very mercurial player. You never know which Morata you'll get. If he's off, more will be asked of the wingers, Ansu Fadi and Ferran Torres and whoever else they've decided to throw up there. So the expectations for this team is a, a deep runs expected. Anything less than the quarterfinals would be a disappointment. The midfield might be one of the best in the entire tournament, but the rest of the team is elite, but not quite world-class. So winning might be tricky without someone getting hot. Yeah, as a great overview, Nick, um, comes to key players. That's such a challenging question for Spain. You could list the entire team as key players. Um, as I was thinking through, selfishly, Liverpool fan, uh, Tiago Alcantara, does he make it? My guess is probably not, depending on how youthful their team is. Alcantara would, first of all, still be in fine form and would do well on any team. But are there others that really kind of boot him out? He's a little older. However, do you want him there for the experience of the tournament? How many veterans there do you have that can temper expectations in the boot room when you need it? Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this team plays. Um, I also love Tic Tacs. <laughs> Thanks for that. But no, you're you're absolutely right. Like this team just has so many amazing midfielders that it's going to be hard for all these guys to to find the field. Like who who has the coach's eye right now? Who's who's going to be the ones to play? Because there's also there's beyond Tiago who you mentioned. There's also Carlos Soler. There's Coque, um, who plays for Atletico Madrid. There is just like, there's so many guys. Sergio Canales from Real Batiste. There, there's just, it's just a very strong team. And I can't wait to see their roster when they release that and see who made the cut. They are one of the few teams, I believe, that could run a B squad and still beat probably half of the teams in the tournament. I like that. And I, I, I probably would agree with that. Um, except for uh, it'd be hard for them to get out of the group of death with it. Lee, who does Spain remind you of? So this answer was kind of strange to me because I couldn't think of any other good example of this, but it's mostly because I'm just a huge fan and I'm going with the New England Patriots. Um, when you think about a team that's kind of built around possession and winning games in such fashion, like, all of Tom Brady's teams were built around defense. The, the, their, the goal of that team was to get the ball back quickly into Tom's hands, make a bunch of short passes, convert a bunch of third downs, and just burn time on the clock. I mean, they had a few seasons where they were scoring a lot of points out there and had some really explosive offenses. But for the most part, you know, of the dynasty that they had, the fundamentals were just short passes, no, no deep balls holding onto the ball and protecting the ball. I mean, they basically just killed you because you never had a chance to score again. Um, 
that really demoralizes teams when they can't let their best parts of the offense shine. And I think that Spain kind of has a very similar philosophy to that. I love that comparison so much. Spain's one of the teams that I root for just because of, you know, their massive overlap with the Barcelona team. But um, I'm also a huge Patriots fan. And since Tom Brady no longer plays for the Patriots, that means Tom Brady would have to be somebody who's no longer playing for Spain. And so for me, that has to be a combination of players. That's going to be Xavi and Iniesta, who are just the golden age. They're the reason why they won all those trophies back around to 2010. And they're known for their passing. And so it works with Tom Brady. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Tom Brady aside, for all those that didn't put it together, you have three folks on this podcast that are from New England. So in terms of feedback and comments, just take it easy on us a little bit. We're doing our best. Go Pats. Okay. Now let's move on to the next team in this group of death. Chris, take it away with Germany. Germany, uh, massive nation, huge history in this tournament. They're one of the most successful national teams uh, in international competitions largely. They've won four World Cups, 1954, 74, 90, and 2014. Three European Championships or Euros in 1972, 80, 96, and one Confederations Cup in 2017. They have also been runners up three times in the Euros, four times in the World Cups, and a further four third place finishes at the World Cup. So uh, they may not have won it every single time, but they're always up near the top. They're one of the most consistent teams in this tournament. They're the only nation to have won both the FIFA World Cup and the FIFA Women's World Cup. So kudos to the women's team. In winning the 2014 World Cup, Germany became the first team from Europe to win a World Cup in the Americas. It was also their first World Cup title following the reunification of Germany in 1990, prior to when they had the split to West Germany. Uh, Storyline here, Germany's disappointment at the 2018 FIFA World Cup forced a change within the national team, with manager Joachim Lowe eventually opting to step away from the top job last year. Hansi Flick, the current coach, has re-injected optimism into his squad ahead of the 2022 edition in Qatar, with Germany's World Cup record making them among the favorites. Will Flick progress them past their surprising group stage loss in Russia from 2018? Some key players to point out. Manuel Neuer, uh, likely captain here, still recovering from an injury. He will still likely be brought on to the plane. Um, this will be the last World Cup he has prior to his retirement. Uh, He's one of the best and most consistent keepers in the world, arguably introducing the new era of, quote, sweeper keeper to the top tiers of football. Joshua Kimmich is responsible for organizing the midfield. This team is dependent on his industry in the midfield. He's in great form and is in the prime of his career. He's playing over in Germany right now. And Antonio Rudiger. Uh, Recently, also, just a massive move from Chelsea over to Real Madrid. He will be key in central areas and will make sure Manuel is not troubled in goal. He has a great ability to marshal Germany's defensive line. He is a massive physical force and will be critical in the advanced stages of this tournament when they're playing some of the big-name teams. Uh, What they're going to do well? Geez, it's what Germany does well all the time consistently, organization and depth. So uh, two key factors for them that make up a very, very strong team. 
They have a very deep bench, and it will be hard for any team to take possession once Germany start to take hold of the play. In terms of what's going to hold them back, it's going to be goals, which is so odd to say, given uh, Germany of the yesteryears. Uh, Timo Werner, who is widely regarded as their current number one forward, was very recently ruled out of this tournament due to injury, which is so unfortunate. Leaves a question mark as to who will lead the line. Um, they have wingers in uh, Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry. They're going to offer incredible quality and pace. Uh, but Kai Havertz or veteran Thomas Muller will likely be forced into false nine roles as strikers without the same pace in comparison to Timo Werner. So it will be very interesting to see what happens with the makeup of their team there. Uh, expectations, they go far. It is 100% expected that they need to go far from their country's point of view. My guess is they are out in the semifinals. Okay, awesome. Yeah, th- this is a, an extremely good team. And I, I love that they have Hansi Flick because I feel like he did such an amazing job with Bayern Munich for such a long time. Yeah, it's really, really hard to say anything bad about Joachim Lowe and what he did with the team. He had been their coach for a long time. Kudos to him. But at some point, you do need a little bit of a shakeup. And I think they picked correctly to your point in Hansi Flick. He's he's injected just so much enthusiasm for the team. And frankly, you know, he didn't make a lot of friends um, coming right into the team. He basically said, I'm not going to play, you know, uh, back in 2000, uh, 2021, excuse me. Uh, some of the more veteran squads and looking towards youth. Since then, he's uh, not tilting at windmills so much, and he's he's allowed some of those veteran players back into the team, recognizing that in this World Cup, they're going to need a little bit of leadership in the locker room. Okay, that's fantastic. I've always kind of felt that, like, Germany was a, like a momentum team to me, the way that they either, like, steamroll or if things aren't going well, they kind of create their own problems and go out. Mm. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to to seeing what they can put together here in this World Cup group of death. Yeah. Yep. I agree with that. Okay, Lee, Germany. Who are they like? Yeah, Germany reminds me a lot of <laughs> another Homer team, um, the Boston Bruins. So the Bruins have always been a historically um, well-performing franchise. They've, they've been one of the originals in the sport. Um, but in recent years, you know, they seem to just kind of have a lot of ups and downs. Um, they have a really consistent core, but they they tend to kind of like wear out their welcome after a few years. They have a successful run in the playoffs and they kind of just peter out. And twice, I think within the last five years or so, they've had a major coaching change. And I think um, Bruce Cassidy had taken the taken the head coach position, kind of brought them back into relevance. And then recently, uh, Jim Montgomery this past season had also kind of stepped in and gotten the team back to being um, an exciting hockey team to watch. Um, The Bruins are also very much a momentum team, meaning that they will either just go on a roll and score plenty of goals, similar to what Germany will do, or they'll just kind of, you know, if they're having a bad game, they kind of just steamroll themselves back into just doing absolutely nothing. Um, they're kind of one of those teams that beats the best and loses to mediocre teams. Um, they're they're very much a pace of play kind of team. So that's kind of good news for Germany, though, because, you know, the Bruins are clearly one of the best teams in the hockey right now. So hopefully Germany can uh, replicate that in the next few weeks. 
That's a a great hockey reference there. And uh, some of the German teams of old were kind of bruisers, too. And the Bruins are known for uh, throwing their weight around and really hitting some people. So there's a decent connection there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of miss those days. It's been like, you know, many, many years since we've seen a really, really aggressive physical Bruins team out there. But when they do have it, it's so much fun to watch. They just bully you around. Agreed. Okay. So I'm going to take us into our third team here in the group of death, Costa Rica. So Costa Rica is currently ranked 31st in the world, and they have an interesting history here at the World Cup. The the small Central American team has twice made it out of the group stages, including a quarterfinal run in the 2014 World Cup. Los Ticos were put into a, a group of death at that 2014 World Cup with the likes of Uruguay, Italy, and England. They actually beat Uruguay and Italy and then tied England to win that group. I wonder what the odds were for that happening. And if you'd bet money on it, you would have come out a very rich person. So they got a favorable matchup in the round of 16 after that in Greece, but bowed out in the quarterfinals to the eventual third place Netherlands on penalty kicks. There are still a handful of players from that Costa Rica team that will likely make the roster and be depended on here in this 2022 World Cup. So the storyline is, this is the last major tournament for the golden era of Costa Rica. Most of their players are really getting up there in age, and likely won't continue with the national team in four more years. So this is a fitting final go-around for these guys, because they had to rally to get here off of a strong second half of qualifying to just finish fourth. Technically, they finished Tied for third, but they lost the tiebreaker. So they came in fourth, and they were forced into a playoff with New Zealand for the right to be at this World Cup. And Costa Rica obviously won that, or else I wouldn't be talking about New Zealand right now. But it was a really tight battle. Uh, So they're hoping to summon some of that grit and energy that they used to come out of the group of death back in 2014 to break out of this group here with similarly difficult opponents. So key players for this team, you cannot talk about the golden era of Costa Rica and not talk about Kaylor Navas. The 35-year-old goalie has been considered one of the world's best goalkeepers for a long time now. He's undoubtedly the best ever in North America and has even won a ton of individual accolades with both Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. He's getting a bit older now and doesn't start all the time for Paris, but make no mistake, he's still elite. So honorable mentions in the old guard include 34-year-old Celso Borges, 35-year-old Kendall Waston, 30-year-old Joel Campbell, and 37-year-old Brian Ruiz. But the real player to look out for is Jewison Bennett. And as much as those players have done amazing work for the small nation, the future has some bright spots as well. Jewison Bennett is only 18 years old, but plays for Sunderland in the second tier of English football. He just went pro in Costa Rica only a year and a half ago, but has worked for his meteoric rise. I'm really looking forward to seeing how his career progresses. He is just an electric forward, and he can do some crazy stuff. So what they do well, this is just a gritty, hard-nosed team. They have limitations on the technical side of the ball, but they work hard to overcome it with determination. Their work rate means that they are very difficult to score on. They essentially soccer term park the bus and hope to win one to nothing what they struggle with what holds them back uh first off their style of ultra defensive soccer can be really boring to watch 
But what could hold them back is scoring goals. In qualifying, over half of the games they played ended 0-0 or 1-0. So expectations. The expectations are to put up a really good fight in the group stage, but ultimately they won't find that 2014 magic and they'll get eliminated from the tournament. Oh, that's sad. Uh, Nick, for the viewers out there that aren't big tactical soccer uh, uh, know-it-alls like we may be, uh, what does parking the bus mean? Sure, yeah. So parking the bus is essentially like taking your bus full of 11 players that you have on the field and putting them in the final, like, third of the of the soccer field. So you have all your players up in that one area. And then because you have so many people in a small area, it's super hard for the other team to get through because there's just always a, a player there that's in your way. And so it's all about just clogging up all the passing lanes and having every single player be fully covered and even double teamed and just playing ultra defensively. Yeah, that's a great explanation. I uh, just loathe this way of playing. It became well-known to me through Jose Mourinho at Chelsea, a spectacular coach and the special one, self-termed for all those who are not familiar with him. He would do that many, many times after Chelsea went 1-0 up. He's taken his entire team, putting them, you know, essentially just in front of their goal and making sure that you've got a brick wall in there and nothing can get through. I do have to say that there is uh, some strategy to playing like that. Not everybody can do it. It takes a lot of coordination to be able to organize so quickly and so compactly at that you know small portion of field. So it's tough to do if you can pull it off and then you've got a good counterattack. It's, it's, a, it's a strategy. Uh, again, as you pointed out, it's not the most fun to watch, but it can be very effective and a good tool based on who your uh, opponent is. Totally agreed. And I do think that that is one of the strategies that has the best chance of exiting a group of death when many of the teams are technically superior than you. Absolutely. Okay. So, Lee, what is this team that's exited the uh, group of death before and parks the bus? What do they remind you of? I feel like you guys just described power plays in hockey. I mean, you're basically just stacking all your defenders right there in front of the goal while the other team is just trying to score on you. Um, that is probably the best defensive tactic that I know of in pro sports, where you just try to get in the opponent's way. You don't let them do anything. Um, I guess really the only difference here is that that is just a common tactic in hockey, but for soccer, not every team likes to play that way. And the best part about it, too, is that it works, right? You know, if you're winning a really close game and you're at the end of the third period and you guys are, the other team is on a power play, all you're doing is just standing there in front of your goal and try to protect your lead for as long as possible, right? Um, actually, I guess the same goes if you're not even in a power play. You just, you don't even need to score another goal. You just need to prevent them from scoring a goal. Just, just get in the way and hope for the best. I think that's a fantastic comparison. I really liked what you did there. I concur. (laughs) There we go. All right. Let's hear about the final team in this group of death, Japan. Chris, take us through it. Yeah, thanks. I had a lot of fun uh, researching Japan. They are currently ranked uh, in the FIFA rankings 24th. Uh, They don't have a storied history, 
They don't have a tame history. They have uh, even keeled okay history at the World Cup. They've appeared uh, at the World Cup on seven occasions, the first being in 1998, where they lost all three group games and finished in 31st position. <laughs> so not a great start. Uh, Masashi Nakayama uh, scored Japan's first ever goal in a World Cup against Jamaica on the 26th of June 1998 in a 2-1 to defeat. They will make their seventh appearance at the finals in 2022. In the 2018 World Cup, Japan became the first ever Asian nation to beat a side from South America after they uh, won 2-1 against Colombia in the group stage. The team made it to the round of 16, the first knockout round, but lost to Belgium 3-2. to That is uh, insane. Story- so, I'm sorry, I need to jump in there. That's insane that in 2018, that was the first time an Asian country had ever beaten a South American country yeah. at, at the yep. World Cup. No, no wow. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, oppor- <laughs> I guess, missed opportunity there. Um, on the other hand, I mean, South America has always been a very, very competitive nation for soccer or uh, continent, rather. So, um, yeah, I can see it. But you still think one of those games somewhere in history would have a winner. That's just crazy. OK. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. No, no. All good. Great talking point. So storylines for Japan. Uh, the, uh, so this was interesting as, as we're walking through this, recording these, researching the teams, this is the first team I've come on that has actually released their official roster. Uh, they also, I know, released Brazil's today as well. So I can talk about some of the players in a little more certainty. Um, uh, team has only gotten better since 2018 when they were, uh, outed by then third place finishers, Belgium. Uh, will they continue their legacy of being giant beaters and make it out this very difficult group stage? That's another fascinating storyline for me here is that in group stages, they have always been able to eke out against some very, very difficult opponents. Um, if they're tried and true, they're going to they have the opportunity to do the same here. This is certainly the group of death. Key players for me, uh, Takumi Minamino, uh, Liverpool familiar, uh, recently left. A uh, lot of respect for this man. He was a little mercurial for us in uh, two years ago in the uh, Champions League. He played for Liverpool many times and was always scoring clutch goals. Um, he, uh, Japan will hope that he can recover his attacking form for a country where he scored nine goals in the second round of World Cup qualifying. Maya Yoshida is a very strong defender and Japan's captain. They will look for his experience as his career has taken him from the Premier League to Serie A. And now to the Bundesliga with Schalke to deal with Spain and Germany's respective attacks. Uh, and then finally, Takahiro uh, Tomayasu, a defender and breakout candidate for the squad. His form for league-leading Arsenal this year has been incredible. Uh, he's young, not the youngest. I don't want to consider him a, a candidate for the Young Player of the Year. He's 21, so he's certainly young, but he's not 17, 18, anything like that. Uh, his ability to play center back or either fullback position, Tomiyasu's versatility, will be a massive tool for the side in Qatar. Uh, th- what they're going to do well in Qatar, they're going to press. They will harass you. They will harass the hell out of you to get the ball. Their counterattack is fast and furious, and they will look to take it to Spain and Germany as the element of surprise. Um, what they struggle with and will hold them back is their defense. They have some great defenders. Don't want to mix that up, but their organization is sometimes questionable expectations 
unfortunately out in the group stage, though I will say if there's one of the two world beaters in here that has the opportunity to make it out, it's going to be Japan. Chris, that was some really good insight there. A um, couple of notes. So, um, I recently watched the USA's tune-up game where they played Japan. Mm. And uh, I, I think that Japan's press kind of made the USA look silly. We couldn't get any flow going. And I can see that press neutralizing many teams in the World Cup and being a major advantage for them. Absolutely. As a Liverpool fan, I love to see that. Liverpool is uh, same. Uh, if you're familiar with Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool coach, Gagan pressing uh, mentality. Uh, the only concern, and that is uh, being exhibited with Liverpool right now, is burnout. How long can players keep running at full speed for 90 minutes and expect to keep that four, five, six games into the tournament? It's very, very pressing on anybody's physical ability. Okay. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up was, uh, I, I don't know if, uh, I haven't seen the roster myself, so I don't know if he made the team, but um, Takafuso Kubo, do you know if he made the team? Who is he playing for now? Uh, so he's jumped around uh, quite a bit, and I want to say he's playing for like Real Sociedad or something like that. Yes. Um, yes, he did make it. Um, okay. I was going through the roster just to see how much of their squad did play internationally inside the Super League. And uh, yeah, happy to say he made it. That's great because I, I've seen him a whole bunch of times playing against Spain and he's got a ton of talent. And uh, I know that some of the bigger clubs have, have occasionally taken, taken notes on him and uh, thought about signing him. And he's only 21. So he's also another young gun. And I just think he's got a ton of potential. I think he's a name that will become a, a lot closer to a household name. Yeah, some time. I, I, I agree with you. I think the most fascinating thing for me about this squad is the fact that they have a squad almost entirely made up of like tier two players, tier one being like the best of the best. Um, they don't have really one player in here that is far and away a shining star. Um, but that being said, their squad is rock solid. Like they have uh, quality, even though it may not be top tier, like they can go far into this tournament. And if they're able to go out of the group stage, I think they have a very healthy chance of making it even potentially into the quarterfinals as well. Um, but it's it's really interesting. You definitely don't have a lot of egos. You have a lot of hard workers. You definitely know they're going to be doing whatever they can do for their country. And that's what can happen when you have a well-coached team that everybody's on the same page. Yeah. So, Lee, does this team remind you of anybody? Not anybody, but this team reminds me of a whole sport. And I'm going to go with basketball on the world stage. Everyone knows that the USA is kind of like the dominant force for many, many years, decades even. And so what I like in Japan, too, is actually the rest of the world. Right. So you think about how all the other global teams are kind of catching up to the U.S. finally. And when it comes to their talent, they're having a lot of good breakthrough games when they kind of previously thought that the U.S. was basically untouchable. Um, they are closing that gap. They're understanding how to play team ball. And even in Europe, like the EuroLeague, they are absolutely dominating um, their play style or they're they're adapting to the the. I guess the physical style of the NBA by countering that with kind of like pressing and um, fast attacks. So it's really interesting to see how 
if you follow basketball, how that sport has evolved over the last few years. Um, there's a lot more contenders and say when the Olympics come around, um, the U.S. still come out on top, but um, the rest of the world is definitely getting um, putting up some really, really close games and um, like just barely losing them now. Japan's kind of like that when you compare them to, say, South America as a whole in soccer. So um, it's only a matter of time before Japan breaks through. And I think you're going to see that um, potentially even this year. I think that's a great compare and contrast. I love that you just compared a country to a collective sport. Uh, the other uh, great thing that I'll point out here is somebody that has loosely followed basketball on the international stage, Spain are another one that are a pretty decent team, and they're the ones to try and give the USA a hard time. USA typically always win, but they happen to be in this group stage as well. Yeah, I mean, with respect to basketball, it's like Spain, France, I think even Argentina was the last team to win the Olympics outside of the U.S., right? There's obviously a lot of talent out there. Um, It's just, you know, the, the U.S. is still so dominant, and so is South America right now this year in the World Cup. But anything can happen. That's what tournaments are made for. Love it. Okay, I think it's time that we move into predictions for this group. Chris, take us through who you think. Yeah, I think um, there's no romantic story here for me. I think it's Germany and Spain, first and second, respectively. They're clear favorites. I If one's going to make it out, uh, I think Spain drops. Uh, rather than Germany. I think Germany have a little bit of a chip in their shoulder. Japan would be the one to to potentially take Spain's spot. But that being said, I don't see it happening. I think Germany and Spain, one and two. Okay. That's a good prediction. Lee, what do you think? I feel like I just got personally called out because Chris said the exact opposite of what I wanted to say. Um, I do have Germany predicted to go out first in this stage. Um, They are just looking way too good right now. Um, the dominant force. But I think Japan is going to sneak in on the second spot um, for a lot of the reasons I just mentioned. You know, they're they're obviously on the rise. They're understanding how to play the right way of football. Um, they're the kind of style that's just going to get in your face. And Spain doesn't like to play that way. So I think it, in that game specifically, whenever they play Japan versus Spain, that's probably going to be the deciding game as to who gets advanced out of this stage. Um, you'll see a lot of different play styles going on then. And I don't know. I just I like rooting for the underdog. I don't think Spain is significantly better than Japan. And you just want to have a feel good story. So I'm going with Japan on this one. I love that. Big knock to Spain on that one. Let's go, Lee. I am fuming. Okay, so uh, I'm going with Spain first and Germany second. But I'm going with Spain first because I do think that they have their ducks in a row and i think that they're going to be passing through everybody and i i think they they have what it takes to win this group and so i think they will but the good thing about these predictions is time will tell and so i think that's going to be it for us we're going to wrap it up here um join us next time as we dive into group f belgium canada morocco and croatia thanks everybody See you soon. Thank you.